Good morning, everyone. How are you? Glad you're here on this holiday weekend. And I think you're extra brave knowing what our topic was going to be to still show up. Good for you. It's been uh, four weeks. I've listened to the messages, and I've enjoyed the, uh, the conversation that, it's, that it has created. Hey, before we start, I want to... Um, I want us to do something together. I'd, we've done something like this before, but just, if you can, put your hands on your lap. And your left pinky is, would be in answer to the question, mm, no, not, not very true. And your right pinky would be extremely true. And I want you to sort of feel on your thigh the answer to the question. The first question would be, in relationship to other people or people that I know or my perception of sort of the average person, I am a person who worries quite a bit. In relationship to what I perceive to be most people, I worry quite a bit. Left pinky is, no, that's not very true. Right pinky is way true, all right? So pick a finger. And second question, same, same preface, but in relation to other people, I am a person who is depressed, knowing that all people get worried and all people get sad. But as I think of depression in relationship to other people, I perceive myself as a person who gets very depressed. Not very true, extremely true. All right. One, you now have a a sense of how we're going to sort of enter this conversation today in terms of who you are and maybe what you're bringing. But maybe more importantly is the idea to remember that let's say you were a person on both of those who, who was all left pinky. That's not you at all. But we're in this, in this place together and somebody around you who you love very likely was right pinky both times. And so you're either a person who's going to enter in as a participant as we talk about these issues, or for sure you're entering in as a person who wants to be a good friend and a good brother or a good sister to somebody. And so that's why I brought my brother, um, not my physical brother, but my friend, my brother in Christ, Brandon. So, Brandon, I'm going to introduce you. Brandon is the founder and director of a ministry called My Quiet Cave. So tell us a little bit about your story and as it relates to, I guess, mental health. Yeah. Uh, So my story with mental health starts when I was 14. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, type 1 rapid cycling, which is a long way of saying really bad. And uh, it took a couple years to get stabilized. Ended up going to seminary. And in seminary, found out, I really want to help people like me. So we started My Quiet Cave to help churches in general work with mental health issues. We did that um, six years ago now. That's when we started that. And now we work with churches all over the Denver metro area, a few out of state, asking questions like, what does it look like for God to meet someone in the midst of their struggles? What does it mean to be a child of God in the midst of mental health issues? What does it look like to support somebody and be a Christian simultaneously? Like, how does this all work together as a person of faith and a person with mental health issues? Yeah. Now, 
do I remember correctly, I thought there was a part of the naming My Quiet Cave that related to your story, like sort of just feeling like you were locked in your basement for a year or something like that. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I played drums. So that was kind of my safe place. And for those two years, that was the one place where nothing in the world could go wrong. Unless I like, hit myself in the face with a stick, which if you play drums, that does happen. It's kind of embarrassing, but you just keep going. Uh, but that was, that was my safety net. And that was my quiet cave, as it were. And I, I really wish everyone had a quiet place where they could be perfectly themselves and they didn't have to put any facades or mm. faces up. They could be completely safe. And then when they left that place, they may not be as safe as they were because we're back out in real life, but they had a place of retreat. I got you. So you, they had the experience of a safe, safety being that primary word. Absolutely. Right. So My Quiet Cave is trying to recreate that in primarily faith communities, it seems to me, but I guess others, whoever wants to use the resources. Yeah, we work with like the Denver Rescue Mission and a bunch of churches oh. and a few different groups and organizations. And awesome. All right. So I've got some questions. I'm going to do a little bit of interviewing, and then we're going to do some dialoguing. And hopefully, I, I'm guessing as I listened to these last several weeks, I had questions that, you know, that I wonder about. And, and maybe some of these you feel like have been addressed. But I want to voice some of those and dialogue them with you. One is it, it, all humans experience similar things. So all people, it feels like, are going to struggle with selfishness but not everybody is narcissistic. Uh, everybody gets worried or scared, but not everybody has phobia and an anxiety disorder. Like, so the question, how do you know? How do you know? Are you, am I, like, I, I don't know, if, say it this way. Because I, I, I want I feel the words can be so damaging. Like, I don't want to use the word normal. Yeah. I don't think anybody's normal the way we perceive it, but you know what I'm saying? Like, how do I know if I have mental illness? Yeah, if we've got this invisible scale yeah. from, like, we used our pinkies. Right. Like, where is enough enough? Right. Where do I need to get help? Is it, like, this thumb, or is it, like, this ring finger, or where is enough enough? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a funny thing. Uh, Carl and I were talking on Thursday, Friday, and I got a text from my mom, and the text just said, emergency, call now. And that could mean anything coming from my mom. That could mean, hey, like, I found something really cool at Costco for your son, and I want to buy it. This is so Does he have too. one? This is so my mom. I don't know yeah. if this is just a mom thing, but go ahead. It could also mean, hey, your dad has cancer, and we're going to the hospital now. He has 30 minutes to live. And I will get the same text for both of those responses. So... She, Carl and I are having uh, coffee, and I get this text, and I'm sitting there, and immediately in my head I go, okay, I'll deal with this as soon as Carl and I wrap up. I'll give her a call. We'll figure out what's at the bottom of this. And then I start to feel the anxiety well up because I don't know. Is this a trip to Costco, or is this like my dad's on his deathbed, and I have no idea, or something in the middle? Hopefully, probably something in the middle. Uh, and... Then I start feeling my palms sweat a little bit. I start feeling my brain start racing a little bit. And then I start asking questions of myself like, oh no, what's going on with me physiologically? Am I, am I triggering some sort of thing? Did I take my meds? Have I been sleeping well? And I start asking all sorts of internal questions. And that's because for me, 
for, for a quote-unquote normal person who's not affected by anything, that might be just an interference, right? Mm. This is an outside thing, and it's coming into my interior life, and then I need to deal with it, and when I'm done dealing with it, it goes away. And for me, it's an exterior thing that comes into my interior life and just causes a wreck. Mm. It's like a bull in a china closet. just makes a wreck of things. And I'm asking all sorts of questions like, am I okay? Mm. Uh, did something wrong happen to me? And it's all because I got this little text. Yeah. So on a scale of like pinky finger to pinky finger, I don't know where that falls. That's a text message that doesn't necessarily mean anything. It turns out I needed to sign two pieces of paper. That, that was it. But um, on a scale of 1 to 10, I, I can't measure that. Mm. And my wife dealt with depression and still does. And for years, she would say, maybe I'm like this pinky. This is my left hand, so this would be the low side of the scale. Maybe I'm like this ring finger. This isn't that bad. Everyone deals with this stuff. And then her life fell apart part a little bit, and she realized, oh, actually, that was this pinky finger. That was about as deep as depression goes. Mm. And so it's really hard to say when is enough enough, because at some point, all of us have stuff, right. and the goal isn't, okay, the goal isn't to say, hey, I want to be this thumb or below. The goal mm. is to say, no, I, I really want to live life well, and living life well has much less to do with how many fingers I am as to am I, like, where do I feel comfortable well, and good? I talked about, though, one of the sort of the misnomers is the idea of functionality. Yeah. Because, like, th th I know from an addiction side that that becomes a false criteria. If I'm functional, therefore, I must not be an addict. If I, as long, you know, hey, I've got a job, I can get up every day, and I haven't, I haven't had significant consequence, therefore, I must not be an alcoholic. Mm -hmm even though I might have a dependency that I may not even be aware of. Yeah. It's that same in maybe in mental health issues, that functionality is not necessarily the criteria. You could be needing meds and yet still fully functional. Absolutely. Okay. Look at how well I'm doing. Yeah, right. That, that's, that's the comment a lot of the time, right? Yeah. That, that was my wife's comment. Look how well I'm doing. Yeah. And then it's like, actually, you're miserable even if you're doing well. Well, and you, you know, I, so I, I know that maybe this analogy has been shared in the last couple of weeks, but in my McDonald's near my house, like I, I, I do have this person who I bump into often who has some of the, the characteristics of what we would consider mental health challenges and, and, and has all his belongings with him. But the thing that is most significant is he is actually having conversations out loud with somebody who isn't there. And, and it's like, and so I have, so inside of me, I'm going, well, that's what that looks like. So I, wow. I, I, and then here's what happened to me is in this last year, especially, I get into my truck and I've got an hour drive to a project I'm working on. I'm in the mountains almost every day. So an hour there, an hour back. And much of that time, if I'm not if I'm just, if I'm un sort of disciplined and unaware, what will happen is I will fall into a conversation with somebody or with lots of people in my last several years, and I'm having the same conversation every day with them, and I'm having arguments with them. They're not there, and I'm now winning the arguments, when in the past I haven't been, but now I'm winning this argument, but I'm doing it every day. And I'm going, I think I may be crazy, but at least I have social awareness. I just don't do it at McDonald's, you know? Yeah. But sometimes, I, and I say that, and then I think, oh no, sometimes April will come up to me and she'll tap me and go, who are you talking to? And it's like it startles me, because my mouth will be moving, 
And I get really irritated that she just interrupted me because I was about to make a very important point. <laughs> you, you know, it's weird. Yeah. So, so maybe it's like a ring finger problem over here. Unless you talk at McDonald's, then it's a pinky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, but I think what is true is it's impacting my life negatively. Exactly. Yeah, in a way that I, and I have tried what I know to do, mm -hmm. and I'm not getting better. Right. So now I need to maybe do something differently. That's exactly it. Okay. And it's anything that, I'm, I mean, because most of us have those things. Um, you don't need to have bipolar disorder to have stuff that gets in the way of your normal life. Yeah. Uh, most of us have those things. And they're things like, I'm afraid to talk to my boss about this thing at work. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid to talk to this thing with my wife. I'm afraid to address these things. I have no fears whatsoever, and I'm doing huge danger to myself. Whatever it happens to be where we can say, you know what? I, I want to live just a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I've got, I've got this little category called the challenges of living in community together. So these are, the, I'm, I'm sort of voicing those. One is the how do I know, and is that important? The other is just the idea of stigma. Yeah. So the fear of being labeled mm -hmm. is pretty high. And I don't know if you, I don't know, I mean, you must bump into that. Like, I'm afraid to be known as this. Um, what do you say to that? Well, first of all, I get a really huge luxury because my day job requires me to have bipolar disorder. So that's pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, okay. So, but the flip side of that is, am I bipolar or am I Brandon? And uh, that's kind of when stigma starts falling away is, I, I remember like the Aurora Theater shooting, when that happened, James Holmes, his first diagnosis that they were saying over the radio was this is a manic episode with a guy in with bipolar disorder. And then they did a bunch of work after that, found out that's absolutely not the case. But I remember sitting down with a pastor who had seen James um, before the event, like a month beforehand, and he said, I don't know what to do. Like, this is the face that I see with bipolar disorder. Mm. And I remember looking across the table at him and saying, my diagnosis is worse than his is, so can you see my face instead? Because you see me as a, like a rational, good human being. And I think you like me. You haven't thrown any punches at me yet. So I think this relationship yeah. is working. And it was this moment of change. Mm. And I think that's the same way stigma is, is we see a disorder instead of we see a person. Yeah. And well, I was just going to say the whole people first movement has been helpful. In other words, it's not, you're not a, you're not a bipolar person. You are Brandon who has bipolar, that there's a difference in that. Yeah. Yeah. And, th and there's a second thing too, which is, it does bipolar define some part of my character? Like, can you trust me even though I have this thing? Am I going to hurt you because I'm going to be you know, down or because I'm going to have a hard time. Okay, so now you've tapped into the second part of the sort of the living in, in the, understanding that church world is different than, in, in, we're, we're a unique experience in our community, okay? And because you use the word character, and this is one of the difficulties we sometimes bump into is what's, what is sort of, am I, I'll use me as an example. So I struggle with depression. I've been pretty open about that. And there's days I just don't, I just, I just, it, it's so hard to just get out of bed. It's so hard to, it's like I'm walking in slow, everything's in slow motion. And I, I've got the, a thousand pounds of extra weight. And that, I'm asking for, I'm asking for compassion about that. And then there's sometimes I'm just lazy. Yeah. But I tell my wife I'm depressed. Because, you see, lazy, it's like she could get on to me. 
But if I'm depressed, that would be cruel. This is, this is a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? It's like, exactly. That's exactly right. And so, it, it's like this, well, and I experience it too. If somebody is, is so if, if it's diagnosable, then I can give tons of compassion. Yeah. But if it's not, it, I feel in myself a judgmentalism about that. And I know yeah. maybe that I've answered my question, but... Yeah, when is my case bad enough that I actually get compassion? Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a really interesting thing, too, because as, as a church or Christ followers or whatever you want to call this place, this sanctuary, um, our job is always invitation, right? So for Carl, when he's depressed, I always want Carl to experience amazing life. That's, that's it. And I hope he can. And whether he's lazy or he's depressed, the invitation's the same. Mm-hmm. I want good things for Carl. And whether I'm lazy or I'm having a bipolar episode or whatever it happens to be, I know Carl wants that same thing for me. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's not a question of like, when do I need to make the judgment? Are you being lazy? Because mm-hmm. it's the same invitation I'm giving all the time. Gotcha. So compassion actually is... is in a sense, the static component. Like, I'm always being called to be compassionate and in relationship, the, regardless of what's happening, that's mo- the moving parts out here. Yeah, so, I mean, this is kind of like, how, how long is too long, right? Yeah, right. Well, which is the, the, the next one, because I, I'm voicing for me, but I think for other folks, too, that my experience has been coming from a more conservative and sort of evangelical experience since high school. This is what I notice: is that it's it's not that having something identifiable of what we would call you know a sin issue, an addiction issue, a mental health issue. It's not that that is initially a, a, a non-starter that that's going to put you out. The problem is, it feels like in those communities you only get about six months to make it better. Mm-hmm. And if after six months you haven't had victory, now we have a problem. Now we have to. Now it feels like the commu- we have to do something. And my experience is that while I do believe God is a God of healing, that often in my life His healing has been over an arc of 30 years. Yeah. And he, he hasn't done those, mir- those miraculous kinds of healings that I've seen in other people. Yeah, I mean, you just hit it on the head. When someone says, hey, I have whatever it is, alcoholism, bipolar disorder, depression, mm-hmm. you know, pornography issues, whatever it happens to be, our first reaction is, that is so good. I'm so glad that you're admitting that because God can do something cool with it. And six months later, our reaction is, you are still broken. Like, you can leave the circle now yeah. because you didn't get better. And you should have by now. Right. We give you plenty of time, plenty of leeway. Right. You missed it. Yeah. And I remember there was this guy that I was meeting with and... Um, we started meeting, he had the same diagnosis that I have, and we would sit down once every week or two. And his lifestyle dictated he was never gonna get better. He wasn't taking care of himself at all. He could have the best psychiatrist in the world. You can't prescribe meds for a dude who's not taking care of himself and not taking them. Like, mm. you just, like there's nothing a psychiatrist could have done. But we kept meeting, and the invitation was always the same. Mm. Hey, I want you to experience mm. like good things and I'm still here, and I still think this is how you get there, and there's no judgment if you don't do those things, and I'm gonna celebrate with you when you do. And we met together for four years like that. 
and he's enrolled in Denver Seminary now in their counseling program because he's mm -hmm. doing so well mm -hmm. because he wants to see other people experience life. But for two to three of those years, we didn't see any change whatsoever. I mean, he was still pounding energy drinks like they were going out of style, and energy drinks plus bipolar disorder, that's a really bad mixture. Mm. And nothing changed. Three years in, no change. Mm. Fourth year, light goes on, everything changes, a completely different guy 12 months later. But it wasn't a six-month window. Mm. We would have said after six months, dude, God has good things for you, but you missed them. Mm. Like the boat sailed. Mm. And instead... He's doing amazingly now. Yeah. Uh, that's a good word. I, I, I think on the uh, other side of that, some of us uh, in our Christian experience, I can say for me, I, while I, I have a better grasp of how long healing can take for some people, mm -hmm. I've also become, I, I have to guard against being a cynic, that when somebody says, hey, I found healing, I tend sometimes not to believe them, which is a horrible thing. Like, I, I don't want to be that person because that hasn't been my experience. I don't want to give that experience to them. And so it, it kind of works on both sides, you know, that I guess, anyhow, that's, I'm just talking about these challenges that it feels like if we're going to live together and be together. So I want to bring up another one, and it's how we hear together the Scriptures. And it may sound different. So I brought a, I brought a verse to us today that seems to address both those of us who struggle with anxiety and those of us who struggle with depression, and what is intended to be this gift from God can, can feel to me like a club in the head, all right? So, Brandon, why don't you just, would you mind just reading those, those verses? Yeah, so this was uh, four. Starting verse four, I Great. think. Great. Yep. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request, requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lover, lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Okay. So I come to the Scriptures having a sense of uh, a belief system that says these, this is always good news. It is God's gift and invitation to me. I, I'm supposed to believe that. And yet I've experienced, and I don't know if maybe you've experienced, even a well-meaning brother or sister when I'm in a depressed episode who brings this believing they're giving me a gift, but in fact it feels like a club. And what it feels like is <laughs> you're just not doing it right. Like you're, there is something you're just not getting. Because, I mean, the, the, the trigger words here are rejoice or in other translations have joy. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that would be awesome. I'm trying. I'm tr like, yeah, how do I try? And so this is my, part of the dilemma is it feels like when God is telling me, if God is telling me you must feel something, yeah. but feeling doesn't feel like it's in my control. Right. So I don't understand. How, how do I make myself feel? And I don't think that's what it's saying, but that's what it feels like. How does it make my, how do I manufacture feeling happiness? How do I manufacture feeling peace? Yeah. When we started My Quiet Cave, we started a mentoring program, and we got to interview people all over the map from 
CEOs of multi-million dollar companies to homeless drug addicts and from atheists to pastors. And universally, we found three things were true about people. The first thing is that every person we talked to believed that God was disappointed in them. Mm. Um, they had a mental illness at some point in time, and they believed that they couldn't perform how they used to, whatever that meant to that person. And because they could no longer perform like that used to, they used to, God was disappointed. The second thing that every single person we talked to believed was that that person they used to be, they would never get to be that person again. And their hope was to be that person again, but it felt like that person was gone. There was, there was no way that it was, was ever going to happen. The third thing that we found was that every single person believed that God did not actually care about them or was angry at them. And this is different than the first one. The first one was, God's disappointed at me because I can't perform. Mm -hmm. This one was, God wouldn't let me go through something like this if he actually loved me. So either he doesn't love me or he's really, really quite peeved with me because there's no way that he should let me go through this. Mm -hmm. So to see a person who, every person we talked to had those three beliefs and to read this and you hear, rejoice, don't be anxious. And they're going, God's so disappointed in me. Like, that changes our reading of something like this right. pretty drastically. Yeah, it becomes, everything becomes a, 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 a bar that I can't quite get over, it, no matter how much I try. I, you know, and I try different ways to get over it, and I get close, and then I just fall back, and it creates this. But what's weird is, because if you ask me, in, even in my worst moments, do I believe that to be true? I do, but what I mean by that is I believe it to be true for you. Right. So I believe it in the sense, like, I believe God loves you. I don't have, I have no problem. And I think I, I can look in the audience and go, my gosh, you are such lovely people. I have no problem believing the, the deep passion and affection God has for them. Me? Not so much sometimes. That's exactly it. Okay. And then when we hear things like, don't be anxious, it just reinforces that. That God loves them, yeah. you all but there's no way he can love me. And this commandment, don't be anxious, it just reinforces my own shame. I already think I'm defective. Right. Great, now I can't do this right either. Yeah. Like, well, I, I mean, I knew coming in ahead of time, so I've been meditating on this scripture. And I, let me, I'm gonna share real quickly a couple of ways in which has been helpful to me. One is to remember that, that while I tend in a Western experience of Christianity to have sort of just a me and Jesus theology that I take the Bible and I kind of go alone, remembering that, that the words of the Scripture almost universally were written to communities of people, often who were not literate people, but who were auditory. They listened. It was oral. And so they listened together. So I sometimes remember that, that the command to rejoice in the Lord is, is, is about a community of people. And that there's some people who are, who are rejoicing, who are not struggling with that component, and, and I can borrow their rejoicing. And the other is, I, I just noticed recently that as I listened to this about the peace, that I kept hearing God say, Carl, you've got to manufacture peace within you. And then I noticed that it's, it's about, it's really His work. His peace will guard my heart and mind. The, 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 the responsibility of peace is on God, not on me. And my, my job often is to simply surrender to what is true versus then to try to manufacture something to be true. Right. This don't be anxious, that's not a command of like, hey, don't be anxious and then God will do something. It's, it's a command of like, God did something really cool. And I'm inviting you into that. And because of that invitation is so good, you can let the guard down and not be anxious about it. Right.
right? We, we talked about a little bit the, this analogy that, you know, I've had experiences with the community of AA, and, and that one of the things that happens in an AA, there is an all-in on certain ideas, and one of those is that we are powerless. And we celebrate the person who gets their 35-year chip in the same way we celebrate the person who's not even gotten a chip yet, who simply wants a desire chip. And in AA, the desire chip is not somebody who has any days of sobriety, but somebody who simply wants to be sober, somebody who wants to want what they want to be true about them. And that's called the desire chip. And that's the first chip you, you get in community. At, but in Christian community, we tend, we tend to look for we like accomplishment, it seems. Like, the desire chip doesn't seem to be quite enough. Yeah. That, that's a little bit like the participation medal at, you know, in sixth grade field day. Like, we're really not that, that's not, okay, how valuable really is that, yeah. you know? We want to tell, the, the story I told about the guy who four years ago started meeting with me, we want to tell his story right now. Now is the mm. time we tell the story, right? He started classes on Monday at Denver Seminary to help right. other That's people. That's where we want the story, yeah. We don't want to tell the story three years ago. He's a year in. He's still not doing anything helpful, but he's cashing in that desire chip every day he's meeting with me. Yeah. He's absolutely saying, I don't want my life to be like this. And at that point, he was saying, I'm not willing to change my lifestyle, but I'm willing to show up here, and I want it. Yeah. And that's a huge deal, and we yeah. kind of just glance over that. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a thousand things we could keep talking, but I, wanna, I don't want to miss some of the practical, just little components. That some of the, so that when folks walk out, maybe there's a couple of tools that they can, um, they can, they can have that come from your experience. So I, I want to talk about those. So let's just talk about those. What, what, what for you is an important tool to maintain your mental health? Yeah, so when we talk about tools and mental health, we're going to talk about really, really, really concrete things. We already mentioned AA, so HALTS from AA I find incredibly helpful. Um, HALTS stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired, stressed, which are five physical triggers for the average person. Uh, the rule of thumb is if you're two or more of those, go fix it right now. That's kind of a warning sign. And if you're three or more of those, the odds of relapse are just through the roof. Mm. So go fix it right now. I found the same thing is true for bipolar disorder. I found it's true for my son if he's angry. I found it's true of my wife. If she's not talking to me a whole lot, she might be really hungry. Um, like, they're just true. So before we jump to, hey, is this mental illness? Or is this something totally wrong? We can get the physical cues knocked out of the way, and we can just live life well. Mm. And to be completely honest, when I talk about halts and self-care, I'm pretty bad with self-care sometimes, because most of us are really bad with self-care is what I've found out. Okay, so back to our expectations. So, so when I hear self-care, it's just one more thing I'm not doing good. Right. Like, it's just another one, well, uh, kind of bombed out on that one, too. Yeah, and I, I felt the same for a long time, because it, it feels like self-care's all of the extra toppings that I don't need on top of something. Mm -hmm. And uh, I met with a guy a couple of years ago, and he, he worked 80 hours a week as a physician. And he said, self-care is a dirty word because it implies I need to do 17 other things on top of my 80-hour-a-week job and my two kids and my wife, and I can't do any of that. Mm -hmm. And he said, so me, for me, self-care is I ask God every single day how he could show me how my job is joyful, so in this 80 hours, I can experience joy and love and peace. And when I go home, I can feel fulfilled with my work and go enjoy my family. Mm. So this idea of self-care a lot of the time isn't necessarily like, am I doing these 35 things right? It's, 
am I staying healthy to be me? Mm. And for me, that sometimes means like, hey, am I eating regularly? Mm. For me, I, I don't feel great unless I run every once in a while, so I do that. Mm. But it's different for every person. It's not like there's this magical thing, like if you do these 18 steps, you'll be perfect. It's, how do you be your best you? What does that look like? Yeah, thanks, Brandon. Yeah, I know for you that you've shared with me sort of a, a sort of a theological shift happened as it relates to you've mentioned it this idea of expectations and invitation. Tell us a little bit about that. It's one of your tools, it seems like, to help you manage. Yeah, and this is not a Mike Quiet Cave tool. This is a Brandon tool, and that Brandon tool is I'm really, really good at living through expectations. Like this is what you should do, and unless you get there, you're not good enough. So let's just set expectations for everything and then let's live up to those expectations and life will be great. And what I found instead is that I'm setting expectations and then I'm just disappointed every time something misses those expectations. Mm. I'm not actually enjoying anything when I live that way. Mm. So for me, I have to delight in the good things. So it means my son's still young. He leaves like a pile of stuff everywhere that he goes. And it's easy to say the expectation is Bennett, you should probably pick up your stuff as you go through the house. But instead, it's, it's the ability to say, I got him to put something away today. That is so cool. I'm actually going to celebrate that. Mm. So the idea that I'm going to delight in something, I'm going to enjoy it, I'm going to celebrate it, I'm going to look for the bright sides of things, and I'm going to positively reinforce those. Instead of, I'm going to have expectations. Uh, and I really think that's the way God works in a lot of ways, too. Because he doesn't just look at us and say, you didn't live up to my expectation, you're terrible, I don't like you, you're done. He actually looks at us and goes, you are my beloved children, and I love you, and I'm going to celebrate with you when everything good happens. Mm -hmm. And when anything bad happens, I'm going to mourn with you. But he's not sitting there with a stick, you know, just looking to whip us across the back of the hand. Mm -hmm. He's really delighting in us. And if I can be more like that, I'd like to. As it relates to a spiritual practice, what what helps you in your soul and maybe even with your management? Yeah, uh, for me, I'm a time of silence person. Spiritual disciplines, are, there's hundreds of them because every person needs different things. So that's what works for me best. I'll grab a Bible, a journal, spend 30 minutes in silence, see what God says, and then just write those things down. And I've been doing that for a number of years. That's kind of how I stay grounded. Mm -hmm. But I know that's not how everyone should stay grounded. Yeah, I... I try to be quiet, and then the voices in my head scream, just gives them, they get more volume, it feels like. <laughs> and so what I've tried recently, was what I've been doing is when um, I wake in the middle of the night, I don't know if some of you have this, you wake up in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden the stories start going back, you're back on the same track, and you know, and you just can't get off the track. And so what I've started doing, and this has just been a little bit helpful for me, is I, um, I've got some of the Bible on audio. Mm -hmm. And so... I'll put that in my ear, and I'm such a great Christian that I fall asleep to the Scripture, so I just want you to know that that's… You're that, far more spiritual yeah, than me. I so, can't fall and, asleep and, when and I'm so listening to One things. way to read the story is it's, it puts me to sleep, but it's a… It, so you can read however you want, but what it does is it helps me, it gives me something to think about back to this verse that is true. Here, one of the things I've noticed, if I'm being really honest, is God is inviting me into a good story as he says, think about things that are true, that when I'm driving in my truck or I'm waking up in the middle of the night, the reality is the story I keep telling myself is not true. That's not, that's not a true story. Maybe my story, but it's not true. 
And so when I'm listening to the scriptures, it gives me something to th sort of think about that is true, and, and then I just fall asleep. So it's been helpful for me, but the quiet right now is excruciatingly difficult for me. I'll have to confess. Yeah, you have to do what works for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you were going to give us a little final... Um, well, one thing I wanted to say for sure, the other, and I don't know, did you bring any of the Overcome books with you? I don't have any with okay. me today. So on the website you can go. There is a nine-week, um, it's, a, it's a communal experience. It's not really designed for you to go through by yourself, the Overcome book, but it's a really good tool for a group of folks. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Okay. And if you have any questions about uh, that, I'll... Uh, my email is brandon at myquietcave.org. Just shoot me an email. I'm terrible at phones. Great at email. Okay. So That's shoot good. me an email and That's good to know. we can chat about that. All right. So a last little word of encouragement or something that for a community that really has been brave for the last four weeks to say, listen, we, this is one of those topics in church that, that is very easy to other. Mm -hmm. This is something else or, uh, you know, we, we can outsource this in some way. But as a community, we're saying we want to live in this story that is true for, in a way, for all of us are affected. Yeah, this isn't an us, like, this isn't an us versus them issue. It's not even us for them. It's not like, hey, we're going to help those people with mental right. health issues. Yeah. It's just an us issue. Yeah. We deal with this stuff. So, uh, yeah, there's a couple things. The first thing is when we talk about disclosure, it can kind of feel like carrying a 900-pound monkey on your back, and you don't know who you can give that monkey to because you don't know what they're going to do. So I don't know who I can tell that story to, my story with bipolar disorder, your story with whatever it happens to be, with family trauma or depression or anxiety, whatever it happens to be. Um, so I have a couple recommendations. The first recommendation is just find one safe person to start with who's going to keep that story a very guarded and safe space. Mm. The second thing is when you start sharing that story, it can feel like it's flooding out of you and you want to share it with everybody. And I would ask, hold it just a little bit tight because it's really easy to get hurt right after you start feeling safe. Mm. Um, my general rule of thumb is build a support network of no more than three to five people who you trust with everything. Mm. And that reason for that is once you get more than three or four people, it is really, really hard to tell those stories over and over and over again if something happens. For instance, you have a spat with your kiddo, right? You need to process with somebody. You have six people you're gonna that talk to you, and you know, you guys do life together. By story number four, you're just like, I don't wanna tell this story ever again. Mm. By story seven, because your wife wasn't home when this happened, and you need to tell her, like you're spent. There's no emotional energy left. Mm. So those communities for me are small, and that's, it's because I don't have the bandwidth to have myself exposed to that many people. I just don't. Mm. And I want to make sure that I give my best to my family, and so I keep those guarded. So disclose, one person first, but not everybody. Keep those pretty tight so that you don't have to just, you don't feel like you're telling everyone your story. Second thing is I want to give you all expressed permission. This is a ridiculously self safe place already. Um, but sometimes you feel you need permission to go see a psychiatrist. Psychiatrists deal with drugs. That's what they do. Their job is to make sure if you need medications that you get the right ones in the right dosages at the right times. 
If you need to go see a psychiatrist, go see one. There's no shame in that at all. I've seen lots. They're great. Secondly, therapists help you unwind your story in a safe place. They help you process what's going on. I think almost every person should see a therapist if you haven't. I think it's a great idea. Um, last time I saw my therapist was last Tuesday. I'll see her again in a couple weeks. It's great. Um, third thing is uh, when it comes to self-care and all of that, most of us think that's something out there. If you have an issue, go do that, but I'm fine. And I would recommend to you, the goal is not to be better than me with bipolar disorder type 1. The goal is just to be our best. Mm -hmm. And that means just doing what you can. And the final note is uh, one of the hardest things about mental illness or lack of mental illness, whatever it happens to be, is the belief that God really loves me. And you hit that already. It's really easy for me to believe that God loves Carl. But I had to do probably six or seven years of really intense therapy to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say, God really likes that guy. Mm. God's really quite fond of him. Mm. And I can enjoy that God likes that guy because I could believe that for you, but I couldn't believe that for me. And I know that I'm not the only person who struggles with that. I've talked to a number who do. Yeah. So that God's with us in it and God likes us as individuals, I think is pretty amazing. That's beautiful. Thank you, Brandon. Hey, let me pray for us, and then we'll share our experience, our final experience together. Lord, as we um, think about this conversation, I think about my friends here, I pray that you would help us create safe community. I pray that wherever we fall on this spectrum of worry and depression, that you bring healing and life to us, that you use us in our brokenness. And as Brandon was sharing at the end, Lord, give us the ability to begin to believe how much you love us. Amen. I think one of the reasons that, that I love the daily or the, the weekly practice of communion is that it is the, the sort of the physical reminder that we're in this together, that there isn't an us and them, that this is all of us, and that he is madly in love with us, and it's, 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 a, it's sort of each week him going, I, I want to prove to you how much I love you. And that's why we, we take the body which is broken, which on his last night he took the bread and he broke, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the remembering is, remember, I'm doing this because I'm crazy about you. I'm not doing this so you have something else to put on a checklist of things to accomplish. I'm doing this for you. I, I think his words when he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, what he's saying is you, you've had this belief that it's about you who's going to relate to God, and God is saying, I'm going to take care of that responsibility. The new covenant, the new deal, is I will do all the work. I ask you to surrender. I ask you to just simply take, to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's all you've got to just be strong And it's a fight just to keep it together Together I know you think that you are too far gone But hope is never lost no. Hope is never lost 
don't let go. Yeah, yeah. Hold on, don't let go. Just stay one step closer. Put one foot in front of the other. You'll get through this. Just follow the light in the darkness. You're gonna be okay. I know your heart is heavy from those nights. But just remember that you are a fighter, a fighter. You never know just what tomorrow holds. But you're stronger than you know. You're stronger than you know. Mountain high. 
Let's stand together. When my heart is filled with hope, and every promise comes my way. And I feel your hands of grace rest upon me. Staying desperate for you, God, staying humbled at your feet. I will lift these hands in praise. I will I'll remind myself of all that you've done. And the life I had because of your sons. Love came down and rescued me.
It's a chasing of the wind, the substance and the form. So
Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand Here's a good benediction for us 
living life together. Since God chose you to be holy people, he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy and kindness and humility, generosity and patience, and make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Amen.